Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Especially those of you from the great state of Michigan who have been waiting so patiently for the 84 Tigers to make an appearance here with the Throwback League. And today it is a chance to do a game from the corner of Michigan and Trumbull, longtime home of the Motor City Kitties. The 84 Tigers taking on the 74 LA Dodgers. It's a one seed against a nine seed on an overcast but pleasant evening just outside Detroit. Josh Lewin with you. The bless you boys was a rallying cry for the Tigers in 84. And indeed, for the first time since 1968, they blessed his proud Rust Belt City with a World Series title. Let's begin the process of the reminisce. A Tigers team that just couldn't lose early on. Hall of Fame announcer John Miller remembers it well. In 1984, I was doing the Baltimore Orioles games, and they had won the World Series the year before. And uh, they got off to a very slow start, which was commonplace in Baltimore. There's nothing to get overly upset about, because they always had a slow start, and then they, they picked it up in the summertime. They were 4-12. and 12. It was a particularly slow start that year. <laughs> Unlike any of those previous slow starts, though, they were already buried. They were 16 games into the season, and they were 12 and a half games behind the Tigers. The Tigers started out the year 17 and 1. So through their first 18 games, they had a 12 and a half game lead over the Orioles, who'd only played 16 games. By the time they faced each other face to face, the Tigers, who had gone 35 and 5, which was unprecedented to start a season in Major League history, um, they they got swept in a series, and then the Orioles came into Tiger Stadium, and there the Tigers were 35 and 8, facing the defending World Champions. Thanks, John. Yeah, 35 and 5 to start, and on to the World Series title. We'll get into all that. But Sparky Anderson is up against the legendary Walter Alston here this evening. The 74 Dodgers are the opponent, a team that won the NL West after a season-long battle with the Cincinnati Reds. L.A. winning 102 games. The Reds ended up with 98. Dodgers had the best ERA in the National League. They led the league in runs, scored two. Steve Garvey, MVP season, he hit 312. Jimmy Wynn, 108 runs batted in. Bill Buckner, one of his best seasons, hit 314. Close to 60 steals for Davey Lopes. You had a 20-game winning season from Andy Messersmith. They defeated the Pirates three games to one in the NLCS. And then 74 was kind of a forgotten World Series. The A's won it for a third straight October, and the series only went five games. They were low-scoring games. First time the two California teams were in the World Series. So 
maybe the national audience not as invested. President Nixon's resignation had occurred just a couple months prior, so the nation was kind of reeling a bit from that. Maybe another explanation might be the, the historic event that happened earlier that year, too. Hank Aaron, the, the long-awaited 715th home run to break the Babe Ruth record. And I think Major League Baseball was just glad to have that milestone behind it because there were ugly racial threats and overtones and controversies that simmered basically for a couple of years. Just put a strain on Hank Aaron and on the game in general. And maybe what happened a year later, too, could be another reason why the 74 World Series to this day doesn't get talked about that much because the 75 World Series, that was one of the greatest of all time, Boston and Cincinnati. A new standard for World Series coming out of that. So, 74 was kind of the, the October that baseball forgot. But for what it's worth, four games to one for Oakland in a series where four of the five games, the final score was three to two. The one Dodger win was by that score. That was game two with Don Sutton over by the blue. Mike Marshall picking off designated pinch runner Herb Washington in the ninth. But game five, a 3-2 win for Oakland. That secured it. And the Dodgers had lost despite holding their opponent to a 2-11 batting average in that series. Elsewhere in 74 in baseball, Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle went into the Hall of Fame together. Mentioned Garvey was a National League MVP. Jeff Burroughs somehow won it in the American League. He was the RBI leader. And Johnny Bench led the National League in runs batted in that year. Home run champions were Mike Schmidt in the National League, Dick Allen for the White Sox in the American League. Your batting average champions, Rod Carew and Ralph Gar. We were just talking about Jeff Burroughs. He was part of a Texas team that made a little run and had to run right off the field in June. The Indians had their ill-advised 10-cent beer promotion in 1974 at Old Municipal Stadium. Cleveland had to forfeit because of all the alcohol-fueled mayhem that spread out onto the field. September that year, Lou Brock, he'll end up with 118 steals for St. Louis. That's a single-season record at the time. And when the season ends, by the way, the Braves end up trading Hank Aaron to the Brewers for outfielder Dave May. Pop Culture 74, well, here's a, a better, more stands the test of time kind of song from 74. Although we also got stuff like You're Having My Baby by Paul Anka and Please Come to Boston by either Loggins or Messina, one of those guys. Of course, we also did get Bungle in the Jungle by Jethro Tull, and it's only rock and roll from the Stones. That was good. The Sting and The Exorcist played at the movies. Stephen King's first novel, Carrie, came out. You had Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon after the resignation, and we watched America react courtesy of Archie Bunker and Meathead over on 704 Hauser Street in Queens. We also watched Telly Savalas suck on that omnipresent lollipop and ask, who loves you, baby, on Kojak. Come to think of it, I'm surprised Omnipresent Lollipop was not the name of a band in 1974. But be that as it may, here now the starting lineup for the 74 Dodgers. Davey Lopes leads it off at second. The Wimperoo, Tom Pachorek, will DH in this one. The others a DH. Got to play this game in Detroit. Jimmy Wynn in center. Steve Garvey's at first. Steve Yeager, the catcher. Willie Crawford's in right. Bill Buckner batting seventh in left. Bill Russell is a shortstop hitting eighth. And the Penguin, Ron Say, the third baseman, batting number nine. Al Downing on the mound. He will have to face Sparky Anderson's 104-win World Series champion, 84 Tigers. 104-58, and 58, their final record. And considering they started 35-5, and 5, that's pretty modest for a final record. 69-53 and 53, the rest of the way is good, not great. 
They actually won just 6 of 18 for a stretch in mid-August. But they got great again when it mattered. They swept the Royals in the ALCS. They nearly swept the Padres in the World Series. The Kurt Bavakwa three-run home run off Dan Petrie in Game 2 accounted for the only Padres win. Still the only win of a World Series game that Padres franchise has ever had. And some vindication for manager Sparky Anderson, who is fifth on the all-time list for wins. And we're going to get into Sparky, courtesy of Kurt Gibson, a bit later in this broadcast. But in 84, Sparky became the first manager to win the World Series while leading teams in both leagues. He had done that for the Reds in 75 and 76. He got canned after 78. Sparky kept a journal during the 84 season. It was published under the title, Bless You Boys, Diary of the Tigers 1984 Season. And on the day the Tigers clinched the pennant, Sparky wrote in his journal, I have to be honest, I've waited for this day since they fired me in Cincinnati. I think they made a big mistake when they did that. Now no one will ever question me again. And I think the remarkable items from the 84 Tigers, they didn't have a 20-game winner. But they did have five guys in double digits, led by Jack Morris' 19. They only had 130 home run hitter. That was Lance Parrish. Not a single 100 RBI guy. Only one 300 hitter. They had no 30 stolen baseman. They used 17 different DHs. They had no regular third baseman. But they got it done. And, you know, you can argue the biggest day of the whole year for them might have been a week before the, the season started, March 27th. They traded Glenn Wilson and John Wackenfuss to Philly for Dave Bergman and Willie Hernandez, the latter becoming AL MVP. As of April 27th, the Tigers had one loss. The Indians will give the Tigers their second loss on April 27th, but it took 19 innings to do it. Kirk Gibson dropped a fly ball in the 19th inning. Indians would score four times in a game that ended at 1.20 in the morning. But bouncing back from that, only three more losses till May 12th. When Reggie Jackson hit a home run over the right field roof at Tiger Stadium, that's a rare occurrence. Sparky thrown out of that game in the ninth after uh, Larry Herndon was called for sliding out of the base path during a, a double play. But anyway, uh, soon after that, Sparky's dad passed away back in California. So it wasn't all roses and wine for the Tigers. But they went from 26-5 and after that game to 35-5 and with their second nine-game win streak of the season already. Their first loss on the road all year after 17 straight wins on the road was the day that Sparky rejoined the team from his dad's funeral out in Anaheim. Once the World Series was achieved, four games to one, I guess the, the downer for Detroit is that following that Tigers Game 5 victory, the celebration by the fans turned violent. There's a well-known photograph taken right outside Tiger Stadium. Shows a fan holding a World Series pennant in front of an overturned, burning Detroit police car. And that image was printed in newspapers across the country. 34 arrested, one dead, dozens injured. Just pretty horrible stuff. But uh, the pictures of those burning police cars and taxis appeared in national newspapers and magazines. Yet a 17-year-old, 8th grade dropout from Lincoln Park by the name of Bubba Helms in front of a, a burning police car. That became the image of that celebration. But still... There it was, the city's first championship since 1968. There was some real unrest in that city in 1968. That's another podcast. But with the managerial wisdom of Sparky Anderson leading the way, they got it done. Elsewhere in that 84 season, the All-Star Game was played at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Gary Carter won the MVP of that. At the Summer Olympics in L.A., the U.S. finished second to Japan baseball a demonstration Olympic sport with future Commissioner Peter Uberoth chairing those Olympics. 
Baseball Hall of Famers that year included Louis Aparicio, Don Drysdale, Harmon Killebrew, Pee Wee Reese. MVPs, we mentioned Willie Hernandez in the AL. It was Ryan Sandberg in the National League. Willie Hernandez, also the Cy Young Award winner. Rick Sutcliffe over there for the Cubs in the NL. Rookies of the year, Doc Gooden, a no-doubt-about-it-guy for the Mets in the National League. The Mariners' Alvin Davis took it in the AL. Pop culture, OMG. I was 13 that summer, and if you ask me, best year ever. Just look at some of the movies that were released in 1984. Indiana Jones, Karate Kid, Gremlins, uh, Ghostbusters, Footloose, Terminator, I'll be back. Nightmare on Elm Street, Beverly Hills Cop, 16 Candles, Romancing the Stone. Not only was this a great year for teenagers watching movies, but check out what was sitting on the Billboard music charts. You had When Doves Cry by Prince, Jump from Van Halen, Sister Christian from Night Ranger, you had Purple Rain, you had Eyes Without a Face, Thriller, of course, Round and Round by Rat. Apple Computer's famous ad, 1984, would launch the, the Macintosh computer line. Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik in 84 to win the first WWF for you Hulkamaniacs. Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire filming the, the Pepsi commercial. The MTV Video Music Awards aired for the first time. Remember Madonna's Like a Virgin? That was very risque in 84. Andy Kaufman died, or did he? That was a big mystery. Uh, Sony introduced the first CD player. Actually, Phillips did as well. Remember Phillips? Cosby Show, Night Court, Miami Vice on TV. Saturday morning was Transformers, Voltron, Super Friends, and Snorks. That is 10 pounds of pop culture in a 5-pound pop culture bag right there. We are all right. going to get you from the Snorks to Kirk Gibson somehow now. Kirk Gibson does indeed anchor this balanced Tiger lineup. Here we go. Leading off, Howard Johnson at third. Lou Whitaker is at second. It's Gibby in right, Chet Lemon in center. Alan Trammell at short, Dave Bergman at first. Lance Parrish is the catcher. Larry Herndon in left. And Daryl Evans, the DH, is batting at number nine. We are just about ready for baseball. We had an awesome national anthem here at Tiger Stadium. The popular Robert Taylor, a.k.a. Fat Bob, the singing plumber. Always good to hear that voice. And on the mound for the hometown Tigers, the Hawaiian-born, Oklahoma-raised right-hander, Milt Wilcox, former Indian, Red, and Cub, 17-8 and eight this year, and then in an 85 and 86 for the Tigers and Seattle. He'll combine to go 1-11. and 11. This after a terrific 84 postseason. It just all fell apart like the Blues Brothers police cruiser near the end of the movie there in Chicago. Milt here in 84 part of an all-right-handed rotation. Jack Morris, 19 wins. Dan Petrie, 18 wins. 17 for Wilcox against the eight losses. ERA of four. Tiger bullpen, such a strength. And the starters really just need to go six, then toss them the keys. And that is a Milt Wilcox specialty. That bullpen with Willie Hernandez and Aurelio Lopez, Juan Berenguer in the playoffs, and guys like Sid Manji and Glenn Abbott, Bill Shear. Very solid group of pitchers with a well-respected pitching coach in charge of all that. That's Roger Craig. All right, we are good. Here's Davey Lopes at 266 for the 74 Dodgers, 10 home runs. And the first pitch from Wilcox sails outside. It's ball one. We are underway on a pleasant enough night under the lights here in Detroit. Lance Parrish, a Tiger catcher. He's got those orange accents on the catcher's gear. That big catcher's mitt ringed in orange, and there's orange on the mask as well. 
Pitchers high for ball two. Tigers in the bright white uniforms. The old English D on the chest. The Dodgers in those classic gray traveling uniforms with the blue caps, the Dodger blue. Next delivery from Wilcox, that is high. It's 3-0. Davey Lopes occasionally will jump on a 3-0 pitch, by the way. Here in 74, he set a Dodgers record. He had 15 total bases against the Cubs at Wrigley. He had three home runs and a double in that game, part of a 24-hit attack for the Dodgers. There's the strike. It's 3-1. No score just underway. Gibson in right field, Lemon in center, and Herndon in left are all kind of bunched together here. Next pitch coming to Lopes. It's chopped on the ground here, short, easy play for Trammell. Who loads and fires, got him, one down. And it brings up Tom Pechorek, hit 240 this year. Just won a home run. He's in there as a DH in his hometown. What a thrill for Tom Pechorek. Von Joshua and Joe Ferguson, two other solid choices, but Walt Alston going with the native Detroiter, who takes strike one on the outside corner. Pachoric grew up coming here to Tiger Stadium, that beautiful all-white facade from the outside. Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, first time he saw this place, he said from the outside, it looked to me like a battleship. Christened as Naven Field on April 20th, 1912, the day before the Titanic sank. This place, unsinkable, built on the site of an old haymarket. As the pitch is up and outside, it's one and one. Mention we're playing under the lights tonight. 1948, when it was called Briggs Stadium, that's when they had the first night game, the Philadelphia A's in town. They started that game at 9.30. They wanted total darkness to make the lights look brighter in a game that was very close to the summer solstice, June 15th of 48. And now here in 84, the wave has become the popular thing here at Tiger Stadium. First American stadium to experience that phenomenon. Pitch to Pechorek is high, it's two and one. Mostly blue seats here at Tiger Stadium, a patch of orange, the first 18 rows of the upper deck. So many blue painted pillars obstructing views around this ballpark. You pay your money, you take your chances. And that overhang in right field, it's like white man overbite come to life. The top row of the upper deck sticks out over the actual fence above the bottom deck. As the pitch is blasted, foul back to the screen, two and two. Here at the corner, as they call it, the corner of Michigan and Trumbull. Tiger Stadium also housing the NFL's Lions until this 1974 season we're talking about for the Dodgers. Guys like Bobby Lane, Doak Walker running around on this very grass. For baseball, 365 down the left field line, 440 to center. And that tall flagpole in fair play to the left of dead center. 325 to right as the pitchers fouled at the first base line, two and two. This is right now the only double-decked stadium in the majors, and that scoreboard in left field was originally in center until Norm Cash and Al Kaline and Charlie Maxwell complained loud enough that it had hindered their view of the pitch, so they moved it. 
Pitch in to Petrorek. Swing a little roller toward second base beyond the glove of Lou Whitaker. It's in a center field for a base hit. Now, Whitaker might have gotten a little piece of that, lunging towards his backhand side, but Tom Petrorek is on. And here's the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn. 32 years old, now right-hand batter, hit 271 in 74. 32 home runs, 108 runs batted in. He stole 18 bases, too. A comeback season of the highest order. A lot of people thought Jim Wynn was done before this year. Here's Wilcox to the plate. A swing, it's fouled into the crowd. And a fan from Northville, Michigan, makes the play. That's a shout-out to Ernie Harwell, the legendary Tigers radio announcer. He would always designate which fan caught which foul ball. Always a, a fan from somewhere in Michigan. Ernie, 55 years in the big leagues, 42 of them in Detroit. The only announcer in baseball history to be traded for a player. The Brooklyn Dodgers GM Branch Rickey traded the catcher Cliff Dapper to the minor league Atlanta Crackers in exchange for Ernie Harwell. Coming in to work with Red Barber. And then Ernie would move on from the Dodgers to the Giants to the Orioles and here to Detroit. Pitchers fouled at 0-2. That one's straight back. And if you're Ernie Harwell, if you're a radio announcer here, you got to be ready. This is a broadcast location that puts you right in harm's way. You can look right down on the plate here. Right now looking at a scoreless game. And by the way, what a broadcast booth they have around here in 84. Not just Ernie Harwell and the golden-voiced Paul Carey on radio, but the legendary Al Kaline and George Kell together on TV. Next delivery whizzes high. It's one and two. Al Kaline on the field, of course, a Hall of Fame career, 22 years uh, playing big league baseball, 3,007 hits, 399 home runs. Never a 30-home run season, incredibly. He was the first to win gold gloves at two different positions, right field and center field. Of course, he became quite known for right field here in Detroit. Wearing that number six, although he first wore 25. He didn't get number six till Pat Mullen retired. George Brett in Kansas City also wore 25 before he got his known number, number five. Richie Scheinblum was traded for George to get five. Anyway, story goes, in 1964, the Yankees offered an aging Roger Maris for Al Kaline, who was in his prime, straight up. And the Tigers wisely said no thanks. Pitches outside, two and two. And as for George Kell, if you don't know, well, he shaded Ted Williams for the batting title in 1949. And the last Sunday of that season, Williams had already taken an 0-for-2 in New York earlier that day. That was a game that decided the AL pennant in New York. Kell was ahead of Williams, 3-4-2-9 to 3-4-2-7, and was on deck for the Tigers with one on, one out, ready to hit in the Tiger ninth. But the shortstop, Eddie Lake, hit into a game-ending double play, so Kell never had to bat with the title on the line, although he was ready to do it. Next pitch coming. Called strike three on the outside corner. Nice job by Noel Wilcox. Look, looked like a changeup. Caught a piece of that outside edge. So Jimmy Wynn, a big bat, is retired here. It's one on two out now. And Jim Wynn, by the way, led the Dodgers in strikeouts, 104 of them this year, although he had 108 walks to go with. Here's Steve Garvey now. 
312 batting average, team best 32 doubles, 111 runs batted in, 21 homers. A breakout at the age of 25, National League MVP, All-Star Game MVP as well in Pittsburgh in 74. And Wilcox pours in a strike to Garvey, nothing in one. Garvey, like Kirk Gibson, a proud Michigan State Spartan, played both baseball and football in East Lansing, as did Kirk Gibson. Garvey, more of a baseball player, though. His contributions to the football program, I'll tell you about that in a moment. Pitch is high, it's one and one. Garvey is a football freshman in 66. He played scout team quarterback. And during the, the week of Notre Dame prep, apparently he did pretty well with that because Sparty held Notre Dame to only 10 points, a season low for the Fighting Irish. That was considered to be the game of the century, the one that ended in a tie. Next delivery, swing and it's blooped foul into the crowd, first base side. And a fan in a pair of Wrangler jeans and an open-necked striped polo shirt tucked into those pants, able to make that play. Wilcox keeping an eye on Petroric over there at first. Milt Wilcox, what they call a comfy offer. Catfish Hunter is a lot like that. It's not like he blows you away, but you look up, you're 0 for 3 against him. And here in 84, we talked about how it's usually six or maybe seven innings in Sia. 33 games started for Wilcox, no complete games. Lopez and Hernandez will just come out of that bullpen. Milt Wilcox, 2-0 in the postseason, giving up just one run in 14 innings. Check of the runner at first. And now the pitch. has chopped on the ground near third. Howard Johnson's got it. He'll wing it across to second at the short way. That retires his side. No runs. And just the one hit. We go to the bottom of the first inning here at Tiger Stadium. The 74 Dodgers failed to score. Let's pause for this. Anytime, any place, you can get that real beer taste. That light, refreshing, natural flavor. That beer is bush. the beer and into some coffee and maybe some tea right now. As for something you can get into right now, let's suggest that you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, especially if you're a Dodger fan listening to this one right now. Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, as you know, all over L.A. And for good reason. It's the, the best, most perfectly blended coffee since 1963. The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. With responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas, the coffee bean and tea leaf truly an experience like no other. No score here in the bottom of the first. It'll be Al Downing on the mound. A solid 3.6 ERA for the veteran lefty who gets the call trying to neutralize the, the lefty terrors the Tigers have in Whitaker and Gibson. Doug Rouse, ERA slightly worse in this Dodger rotation of 74. Sutton, Messersmith, and Tommy John all better. And in fact, that trio combined had a regular season record of 52 and 18. Downing now 33 years old, 
Only the lefty out of the bullpen, Jim Brewer, is an older pitching presence on this team. And here is Downing to face Howard Johnson, who's 23 years old, the youngest Tiger regular. Switch hitting third baseman, really can play all over. He batted 248 this year, only a dozen home runs. He takes a strike down the middle from Al Downing. Well, the Tigers have had and will have rookies with promise who fizzled. And Johnson's not going to fizzle, but he will get traded somewhere else and then take off. Not like you can put him on that pile of Tori Lavellos and Steve Searcy's and Chris Pataro's and Scott Aldridge, who all fell under the curse of Sparky Henderson's hyperbole. Mike Laga, Tim Corcoran, they were all supposed to be Hall of Famers, according to Sparky. Pitches outside from downing one and one. We didn't see much of Howard Johnson in the 84 postseason. 84 World Series, Sparky gave the third base job to Marty Castillo. Hojo had only one pinch hit at bat in the World Series. Then he was traded to the Mets just a couple months later. Went on to have some big years in New York. Go to 1989, 36 home runs, 101 runs batted in. Downing paints the corner with a strike. It is one and two. The catcher, Steve Yeager. And the outfield, Willie Crawford in right. Bill Buckner in left. You've got Wynn in center. Up the middle, Davey Lopes at second. Bill Russell at short. Ron Say, the Penguin, near the line at third. And Steve Garvey, handsome man over there at first. Pitch comes. It's popped in the air to shallow left field. Backpedaling is Bill Russell. The shortstop there. He makes the catch. One out. Lou Whitaker now. Left-hand hitting second baseman. Hit 289 here in 84. Popped 13 home runs. The Martinsville, Virginia native, known around here as Sweet Lou. Had his best year last year in 83. Hit 320. 40 doubles. And he takes here up too high. It's ball one. Yeah, the batting average down at 289 this year. He went from 206 hits to 161, but he was the starting second baseman in the All-Star game and a gold glove winner. Downing's delivery, fastball fouled down near the first base coach, Dick Trzuski. Third base coach is the 58-year-old Alex Grammis. Garvey near the line at first. He's a Tampa native, but that Michigan State pedigree makes him a popular player here tonight for the opposition. Same for the Dodgers' great reliever, Mike Marshall, Michigan State guy. Next delivery from Downing. That's punched in a right base hit. Over the head of Garvey and played back in by Crawford. So Lou Whitaker, one out single, and here comes Kirk Gibson. A popular commercial for a fast food place here in 84 asks, where is the beef? Here it is, Kirk Gibson, 27 home runs, 91 runs batted in, stole 29 bases too. And the image of Kirk Gibson with his arms raised above his head after the three-run homer in the deciding game of the World Series, that's probably the iconic symbol of this 84 Tiger season. That blast coming off of Goose Gossage, the best reliever in the National League. Pitch here from Downing, it's outside ball one. Of course, Kirk will hit a memorable World Series home run for these Dodgers not too long from now. But 
It's going to be a very distinguished 17-year playing career for Kirk Gibson. Eventually, he'll manage as well, manager of the year for the Diamondbacks in 2011. He broke in in 1978, Lakeland, Florida. His manager was Jim Leland. And for Gibson, only 500 minor league at-bats before going to the show to stay, except for a couple rehab assignments in Toledo and Albuquerque. Pitches outside to him here at 2-0. Gibson, the only Tigers 25-25 guy, and he did that four times. Almost a 30-30 man, a couple different times. He missed by one home run in 85. We mentioned he was close here in 84. Only man in baseball history to win an MVP award, but never play in an all-star game. Taking here, and it's ball three. That one apparently a bit low. Kirk Gibson, probably the greatest player never to have hit 30 home runs or to have driven in 100. Again, awfully close a lot of times. Here's a throw to first and Whitaker back. Kurt Gibson was being mentioned as a potential number one pick in the 78 baseball draft and a first round pick in the 79 football draft. Set a Michigan State record for touchdown receptions at 24 of them. Pitch to the big left-hander. That is outside again. That's ball four. So it's going to be two on, one out now. No score in the game. Here comes Chet Lemon. Chester wearing 280, or hitting 287, wearing number 34 on that Tiger uniform. Traded to the Tigers before the 82 season from the White Sox for Steve Kemp. Way back when, broke in as a shortstop third baseman in Coos Bay, Oregon, back in 72. Now he's a terrific center fielder with plenty of room to cover here at Tiger Stadium, that's for sure. That flagpole in play, just shy of 440 feet away from home plate. Here's a pitch from Downing, sizzling in there for strike one. Of course, Tiger Stadium will stay open through 1999. And it saw exactly 11,111 home runs. They ran the picket fence on that one. One, 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 one. The home run total. The last one, a right field rooftop grand slam by the Tigers' Robert Fick. Last hit in the last game ever played here. Pitch to Lemon. That's fouled up the third baseline. Nothing in two. About three dozen home runs, by the way, were hit on the right field roof over the years here at Tiger Stadium. That's a soft touch compared to left field, where only four times someone found the left field roof. Harmon Killebrew did it. Frank Howard did it. Big Daddy did it. Cecil Fielder. Mark McGuire, too. Chet Lemon, though he did have 20 home runs this year, he's unlikely to be joining that list at this point off Al Downing, who, of course, did surrender a fairly famous home run, that to Hank Aaron. With two on and one out, here's the pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Chet Lemon chasing something off speed, two down. It'll be up to Alan Trammell. And at 324, the only 300 hitter on this team. In fact, no one else hit even 290 for the 84 Tigers, although we have to include two late season call-ups here. I mentioned that technically the 
The lefty pinch hitter, Mike Laga, went six for 11, so he hit 545. 21-year-old outfielder Nelson Simmons came up. He went 13 for 30, so that's 433. Those guys only 41 at-bats combined. The real beef off the bench, guys like Barbaro Garbay, Tom Brookins, Rupert Jones, Johnny Grubb, Marty Castillo, Rusty Kuntz. Pitch from downing a strike on the inside corner to trample nothing in one. Trammell's backup is a 23-year-old switch hitter by the name of Doug Baker, who actually had 108 at-bats in 84. Baker, Dwight Lowry, Rod Allen, these guys were just so deep all the way around. And with shortstops in Detroit, it's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, they've had Harvey Keene and Ed Brinkman, Donnie Bush, now Trammell. Those are good and great. But for every Trammell, there's been a Tom Verizer. For every Brinkman and Orlando Miller, no one pitches high, it's one and one. Trammell's going to end up with 25 years of Tiger service, most of them as a player, spent a year as a hitting coach, then three as the manager. The only men to play 20 years with the Tigers, you got Trammell, Al Kaline, and Ty Cobb. Pitch from Downing, that's low, two and one. No score here in the first inning. 74 Dodgers and 84 Tigers. And, of course, those 84 Tigers, we mentioned 35 and 5 to get out of the gate. When Trammell manages the team in 2003, the Tigers will win their 35th game on September 2nd. Forget 35 and 5. They were 35 and 103 on their way to close to 120 losses. The pitch. Grounded it towards short. Bill Russell's got it. A little flip to Davey Lopes covering it second, and that retires the side. Tigers can't score. We're at the end of one, and still no score at Tiger Stadium. Let's pause for this. Every four years, the world drops what it's doing to watch as dreams and determination are tested. To stand in awe and admiration as the Olympic spirit takes form in dazzling performances of breathtaking skill. To these, the games of the 23rd Olympiad, America will once again send its best. And to the members of the U.S. Olympic team, we at Kmart send our best. We know what it's taken to get there. That's why we feel so very good about being official sponsors of the U.S. Olympic teams. Again, from the people of Kmart, good luck, America. We'll be with you all the way. We've got it, and we've got it good. At Kmart, Kmart, Kmart. We've got it, and we've got it good. As we go to the second inning, we've been talking a lot about these 84 Tigers. Haven't had them in a throwback league game yet. Sparky Anderson, the manager, and Kurt Gibson, a guy that owes a lot, he says to this very wise, white-haired gentleman. His hair, by the way, started turning white in his late 20s. But that's another story for another time. Let's listen in as Kurt Gibson tells us about what Sparky meant to him. Uh, he was the master. He came in, said it would take us five years to win it. Uh, we did. He gave us some, some love. He gave us some tough love. 1983, he told me he was going to bring me to my knees. I'd either get it or I'd go home to Mama, and I could sit in her lap. That's how he – and uh, in 83, we were in Seattle, and, you know, I was supposed to 
he's supposed to do my running because I wasn't playing. And I was really irritated, and he knew it. And he came over and acted like he was a defensive back on me. I said, get out of there. You're going to get hurt. He said, come on, big boy. If I was going to be a DB, I'd press coverage you. So I had Rose back. <laughs> like, I started to run. I looked at my right shoulder like I was running it out. He bit. I turned back to the left, and I rolled his ass. He said, God, it's like crying. He said, this SOB is crazy. I said, this guy is is the guy that challenged me, you know. But he later told me before he passed away, Josh, the reason he took that ass kick in there, because he thought he was losing me, and he wanted me to he wanted me to make it, so he knew he had to pay the price. And um, you know, he was a, he was a very good manager. He was no nonsense. We came in, he laid out the day very clearly, great visuals. We knew what we accomplished. He didn't believe in anybody picking up a bump play and throwing it down the right field and, and laughing. There's nothing funny about that to Sparky. Attention to detail. You know, you never knew what you needed. You never knew what you had to use. But he wanted to push you and find out what he believed you could accomplish. And then he pulled, pulled those triggers, and it was masterful. And it was magic in 1984. Great stuff from Kirk Gibson. And funny that Kirk mentioned Seattle because the Seahawks were the NFL team really interested in him for football. The Mariners seemed determined to take Gibby with the number six pick of the baseball draft the year he came out of college. The scouting director of the Mariners then was Jerry Krause, who went on to be the GM of the Chicago Bulls, as you may know. He had seen Gibson hit three home runs in one game at Northwestern and really wanted to take him for the Mariners. But Gibson had put the word on the street, don't bother drafting me if you're not the Detroit Tigers. I will only sign with them, otherwise I'm going to go play football. Seattle took that advice. They stayed away. They drafted Tito Nani instead. And Jerry Krause said, I went years without the feeling I had when I first scouted Kirk Gibson. It wasn't until I found Scotty Pippen that I had that feeling again. Anyway, let's get you to some further action here. Top of the second, here's what happened. Jaeger doubles to left. Willie Crawford flies to Gibson in shallow right. But Buckner singles to right, and Jaeger able to come around and score ahead of the throw from Gibson. one nothing L.A. all the way until the bottom of inning five. That's when the Tigers would tie it up with two outs. Daryl Evans pounding one over the left field wall just inside the foul pole. The Tigers D.H. with a big statement off Downing. It stayed 1-1 into the top of the seventh. Wilcox still on the mound for Detroit, but the Dodgers will get to him after Ron Say grounds out to open the inning, and Lopes pops out to shallow center. Two-out rally, Pachorik a little bloop double. Then Jimmy Wynn with a booming shot to left center, up and over a leaping Chet Lemon at the wall. Two-run home run to make it 3-1 and chase Wilcox from the game. Lopez on in relief. He would keep it at... 3-1 until the bottom of the eighth. Charlie Huff, the knuckleballer on the mound, now in relief for Downing. And the Tigers will get a rally going. It starts with a Howard Johnson ground ball single to center. Lou Whitaker, a little dunker in the center to make it two on, nobody out. And with the dangerous Kirk Gibson up, he gets hit by a pitch, a wandering knuckleball that glances off his bicep, causing Kirk to smirk. Bases loaded for Chet Lemon. He flies out to deep center, shy of the flagpole in center, but a sack fly to make it 3-2. The runner from second, Whitaker, going to third. He's able to score on a deep fly ball from the next batter, Alan Trammell. So it's back-to-back -back sack flies, and there you go, 3-3. Three, three. 
Jim Brewer into the game to pitch. He gets Dave Bergman to ground out right away. So it stays 3-3 because of the back-to-back -back sack flies into the top of the ninth inning. And Lopez still out there for Sparky in the ninth. Willie Hernandez warming up just in case. Lopes grounds out to give himself an 0-5 for 5 in this game. Up comes Pachoric, 3-for-3 three three at this point. But he goes down swinging here. Jimmy Wynn, a single to right, but then Lopez gets Garvey to foul out to first. Let's go to the bottom of the ninth. Still 3-3, and still Jim Brewer pitching for L.A. Brewer, the 33-year-old lefty, got in 24 games in 74, winning four, losing four, with an ERA of 2.52. He and Jeff Zahn, the lefties out of the pen in L.A. Zahn's a Michigander, Michigan Wolverine. The righties are Huff and the Michigan State product, Mike Marshall, who got into a record 106 games this year. And he's warming up now, by the way. But right here, it's Brewer, who needed just the one pitch to get the, uh, the last out of the eighth. Brewer wearing 21. He's from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. 12 years with the Dodgers after four with the Cubs. And he'll end his career as a California Angel a couple years from now. A team managed by Dick Williams, who, of course, will end up managing the 84 Padres here at Tiger Stadium in a series that ended quite well for Detroit. So here's Lance Parrish, who's got an L.A. tie-in. He's the son of a sheriff's deputy back in L.A. And Lance himself has made some part-time work out of the security business. Tina Turner's bodyguard. And he's playing against these 74 Dodgers. That's the year that Lance Parrish began his pro career. He broke in as a third baseman slash outfielder in Bristol, Virginia in 74. And the catcher taking high. It's ball one. Lance Parrish will finish up as kind of a walking suitcase. His hometown Angels in 92 and the Mariners. Indians in 93. Pirates in 94. Blue Jays in 95. Parrish always said it was his intention to play out his whole career in Detroit, but he let the snub of the late Jim Campbell sting him very deeply. When Campbell, the Tigers' owner, took a, a contract extension offer off the table, Lance Parrish vowed to leave, and he did for less money because of collusion, but never got to finish as a Tiger as he wanted to. He takes a strike from Brewer. It's one and one. Parrish probably glad he's not facing Charlie Huff anymore. The big wheel on record saying that's the toughest guy he's ever faced in his career is Charlie Huff. Next delivery, it's up too high from Brewer, 2-1. And, and that nickname we referenced, Big Wheel, that started in this 84 season. He has a couple people to thank for that. Mel Allen and Kurt Gibson. This week in baseball host Mel Allen, starting his, his narration about the Tigers' amazing start, he used the line, Lance Parrish has been the big wheel in Motown. And Kirk Gibson was watching that in the clubhouse, and immediately he decided that's a nickname. <laughs> big wheel, which just got shortened to wheel. Pitch on the way to wheel. That's popped into shallow center. Bill Russell going back a little bit. And Russell makes the catch. A Dodger shortstop, one out. We're tied 3-3, bottom of the ninth. Number nine seed, 74 Dodgers. Number one seed in this bracket. This side of the bracket, anyway, the 84 Tigers. Here's Larry Herndon now, right-hand batter. 280 batting average, seven home runs. Had a big home run in postseason play. Game one of the World Series. 
Two-run shot was the difference in a 3-2 Tiger win. He also caught the final out of the World Series. Fly ball off the bat of Tony Gwynn. Pitch to him here, it's low for ball one. Larry Herndon, a Memphis native. He played at Tennessee State in college. Wearing number 31, he is deep in the box. Herndon originally a Cardinal and Giants before arriving here in Detroit for the 82 season. Brewers delivery. He's rolled on the ground, heading up the middle, but Davey Lopes with the backhand. He turns, he throws, he got him. Nice play by Davey Lopes. Two down now. And we could be looking at extra innings here unless Daryl Evans can do something. Evans already with a home run, also a fly out and a ground out, so one for three. If we go to the 10th, it'll be Jaeger, Crawford, Buckner for the Dodgers. And it appears Willie Hernandez will be next. He's ready in that bullpen for the Tigers. He's already done warming up. Bullpens are located down the foul lines here, so he's already in the dugout. Pitch to Evans on the way. It's outside, ball one. Darrell Evans, the Tigers' big free agent signing before this 84 season. 85 season will go much better with 40 home runs. 87, 34 home runs, 99 runs batted in, but not a lot going on here in 84. 16 home runs, and in the World Series, one for 15. He's actually the number nine batter in Sparky Anderson's order in this one. Here's the pitch from Brewer. Swing, high drive. This ball's got a shot. Deep to left center. Back, back, back. Jimmy Witt gives it a look and it's gone! It's over! The second home run of the game. Evan kicks it out. Daryl Evans. Bless you boys. The Tigers get it done. They rally. They get two in the eighth. One in the ninth. They're mobbing Daryl Evans at home plate. His home run wins it. Your final is four to three. Oh, he tucked it over that wall in left center. We've seen guys get up on that wall sometimes, trying to pull the ball back in, but that ball had a little bit too much giddy up on it. Jimmy Wynn did not hop up on the fence. And this game is over. Four runs, seven hits, no errors for the 84 Tigers. 3-12-0 for the 74 Dodgers. Ron Say 0 for 4, Steve Garvey 0 for 5, Davey Lopes 0 for 5. The one three-hit guy was the Wimperoo, Tom Petrori. Lou Whitaker, three hits and a winning effort for the Tigers. But two big home runs from Darrell Evans. That's the difference here as the Tigers survive and advance. Their next game won't be until August. They'll get the winner of next week's battle. The 12th seed, the 98 Padres, who upset the 88 Dodgers to advance. Kirk Gibson's 88 Dodgers. Anyway, it'll be those guys up to Sky Dome in Toronto. They'll take on the four seed on this side of the bracket, the 92 Blue Jays. That's a pitching matchup of two hard-throwing righties. It'll be Kevin Brown and Juan Guzman. If you haven't yet, do me a solid and review the podcast, if you will, when you subscribe to it. They ask you to leave a review, so please do that. And, you know, four or five stars, that's certainly better than two or three. Not telling you what to do, but five stars will be great. Check us out on the website, too, thethrowbackleague.com. It's got all the box scores there for you. You can look at the brackets and, and everything else. Follow us on Twitter as well, at thethrowbacklg. 
This is Josh Lewin. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, the final here in Detroit at Tiger Stadium. 84 Tigers 4, 74 Dodgers 3.